Hi folks, there is a calendar out there with dates on it. And if it's one of those days, then this is the Delph. We've had a lot of trouble within our team, mainly me, Chaelin, and we're a little behind, but that's okay because I got some interesting stats today. This episode is our 50th episode of The Delve. I'm a bit amazed because it seems like just yesterday we started and here we are, 50 episodes later. It's funny because we have episodes recorded that we never even got to release from seasons ago. Where has the time gone? More than that, we have listeners in 37 countries now. That's up from 23 at the end of last season. Most surprisingly, our podcast is one of the top 10% most popular shows globally ranked. It's truly incredible. Thank you to everyone who's been a listener, and do I have a special treat for you today. We start this episode with the political equivalent of the Will Smith slap heard around the world. Take a listen. We want to turn now to an exclusive CBS News and Washington Post investigation. Tonight, our chief election and campaign correspondent Robert Costa and Bob Woodward have uncovered text messages between the wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas and President Trump's top aide, in which she repeatedly pushed to overturn the 2020 presidential election. Here's CBS's Robert Costa. The stunning text messages detail an extraordinary relationship between Ginny Thomas and then White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows, just after then-President Trump started his fight to overturn the 2020 election results. This is a major fraud in our nation. We want the law to be used in a proper manner. So we'll be going to the U.S. Supreme Court. The texts are among more than 2,000 messages Meadows provided to the January 6th committee. The first message from Thomas came the day before Joe Biden was declared the winner of the 2020 presidential election. Do not concede, she wrote. It takes time for the army who is gathering for his back. Thomas urged Meadows to help the president stand firm. The majority knows Biden and the left is attempting the greatest heist of our history. The messages don't directly reference Justice Thomas or the Supreme Court, but show how Ginny Thomas sought to guide the president's strategy to overturn the election, urging Meadows to make Trump's controversial attorney, Sidney Powell, the lead in the face. On November 24th, Meadows wrote Thomas, quote, this is a fight of good versus evil. Thomas replied, thank you, needed that. This plus a conversation with my best friend just now. It is unclear who Jenny Thomas was referring to. Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas often refers to his wife this way. I love being here with my bride, Virginia, who's a gift from God and my totally best friend in the whole world. Jenny Thomas recently acknowledged she had attended President Trump's rally at the Ellipse prior to the attack but says she left before Mr. Trump addressed the crowd. Ginny Thomas has publicly denied any conflict of interest between her activism and her husband's work. In the one case heard by the court tied to the January 6th insurrection, they voted to release Trump White House records to the committee. There was only one dissent, Justice Clarence Thomas. 
Ginny Thomas has been a stalwart supporter of her husband and bestie, Justice Clarence Thomas, since he faced very credible allegations of sexual harassment by Anita Hill and others back at his confirmation hearings in 1991. But now the relationship has morphed into something weird. This obviously comes after the extremely bizarre text between Ginny and Mark Meadows, Trump's White House Chief of Staff. The text seemed like ones of a QAnon supporter, which we did an episode on last week. You should check it out. Ginny sent Meadows several texts of messages being spread on pro-Trump sites like ballot fraud conspiracy and supposed arrest being made. She later added, I hope this is true. Ginny continued sending texts embracing conspiracy theories, offering legal strategy, and pleading to have the election results overturned. So what is Justice Clarence Thomas's role in all of this? He too sees election fraud as a threat when he supported reviewing a challenge to Pennsylvania mail-in voting procedures. Justice Thomas also was the only dissent on the Supreme Court decision to allow the National Archives to release documents from Trump and his administration to the January 6th committee. Is that a coincidence? Uh, I think not. Because of his obvious involvement, Justice Thomas has been called to recuse himself of any January 6th related cases by Democrats and legal experts, and some have even called for impeachment. So as one justice is potentially at risk of losing a seat on the highest court of the land, another exemplary choice is on our way to ascending. Last week, the Senate held confirmation hearings for Katanji Brown-Jackson, the first black woman nominated to the Supreme Court. The confirmation of KBJ would represent a major advancement towards greater representation on the highest court in the land. To activist groups such as the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, having someone on the Supreme Court that has experience with the struggles of Black America is essential for racial equality and equity. Today we will dive into all things KBJ, her history and background, the Republican attacks on her, and what her confirmation means to so many of us. Without further ado, let me introduce the Honorable Katanji Brown-Jackson. It's my honor to introduce to the country a daughter of former public school teachers, a proven consensus builder, an accomplished lawyer, a distinguished jurist, my nominee for the United States Supreme Court, Judge Katanji Jackson. I am Ketanji Brown Jackson. I have just had the honor of being nominated to sit on the United States Supreme Court. I started thinking about the law when I was really young. My father went back to law school when I was a kid. We lived on the campus of the University of Miami and my dad would sit there with all of his big thick legal books and I would bring my coloring books and I would sit next to him and watch him study and pretend as though I was doing work as well. I had not really seen a lot of colleges except that I did speech and debate and Harvard has a tournament. And I went several years in a row and competed in that tournament and thought, I like this campus, maybe I'll apply. After graduating from Harvard Law, Katanji clerked for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer, who she calls a wonderful mentor and boss. Once confirmed, Judge Jackson will be filling the seat of the retiring Justice Breyer. She says she could never fill his shoes, but hopes to carry on his spirit. 
Katanji served as a public defender from 2005 to 2007, and in 2010, she was nominated by President Obama and confirmed by the Senate to serve as the vice chair of the U.S. Sentencing Commission. In 2013, she was confirmed with bipartisan support, including that of Senator Lindsey Graham, to be a judge on a D.C. district court. I'm only lifting up some of the highlights of this woman's long and illustrious career. You couldn't design a career more suited to serving on the Supreme Court. In the words of Senator Elizabeth Warren, Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson has more trial court experience than any sitting Supreme Court justice. She'll be only the second sitting justice to have served in all three levels of the federal judiciary, and she'll be the first former federal public defender and first black woman on the court. So, she's abundantly qualified. But what can we glean about her from her previous rulings? Jackson is known for writing very long opinions, oftentimes more than 100 pages. Her opinions and rulings are based on ironclad logic. One notable case presented before Judge Jackson was when then-President Donald Trump directed former White House counsel Don McGahn to defy a congressional subpoena, citing executive privilege. Jackson dismissed Trump's argument, writing, and I quote, The primary takeaway from the past 250 years of recorded American history is that presidents are not kings. On immigration, Jackson temporarily blocked the Trump administration's plan to expand fast-track deportations of people in the country illegally, no matter where they were arrested. On unions, Jackson sided with public sector labor unions who challenged a Trump-era rule that made it easier for government agencies to impose workplace changes. Jackson is likely to join the liberal justice on issues arising on the docket like gun control, reproductive rights, disability, workers, and LGBTQ rights. But first, she needs to be confirmed. We knew going into this hearing that the who's who of Republican rabble-rousers would bring their jackassery. <laughs> Love that term. I'm borrowing this word from Senator Ben Sass, Republican of Nebraska, to the confirmation hearings. And boy, did they deliver. What faith are you, by the way? Senator, I am um, Protestant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, Non-denominational. Okay. Could you fairly judge a Catholic? Senator, I have a record of I think the answer would be yes. judging everyone. I believe you can. I'm just <laughs> asking this question because how important is your faith to you? Senator, personally, um, my faith is very important. Um, but as you know, there's no religious test in the Constitution under under Article 6, and... There will be none with me. And <laughs> um, it, it's very important to set aside one's personal views yeah. about things I, I, in, I, in the role of a judge. I couldn't agree with you more, and I believe you can. So uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, how faithful would you say you are in terms of religion? You know, I go to church probably three times a year, so that speaks poorly of me. <laughs> or do you do you attend church regularly? Well, Senator, I am reluctant to talk about my faith in this way just because I want to be um, mindful of the need for the public to uh, have confidence in my ability to separate out my personal views. Well, how would you feel if a senator up here said, 
your faith, a dogma lives loudly within you and that's of concern. How would you feel if somebody up here on our side said, you know, you attend church too much for me or your faith is a little bit different to me and they would suggest that it would affect your decision? Would you find that offensive? I wish for everyone the virtue of patience that Judge Jackson maintained during this truly absurd line of questioning, as she so gracefully expressed. Fundamental to her carrying out her duties as a judge is the ability to put aside one's personal faith and to rule in the facts of the case in the Constitution. But, you know, our boy Ted Cruz couldn't let old Lindsey Graham steal the show. He had to bring out the big guns. If you look at the Georgetown Day School's curriculum, it is filled and overflowing with critical race theory. They include literally stacks and stacks of books, and I'll tell you two of the ones that were most stunning. They include a book called Anti-Racist Baby uh, by Ibram Kendi. And there are portions of this book that, that, that I find really quite remarkable. Now, this is a book that is taught at Georgetown Day School to students in pre-K through second grade, so four through seven years old. Um, do, do, do you agree with this book that is being taught with kids that, that babies are racist? Senator, I do not believe that any child should be made to feel as though they are racist or though they are not valued or though they are less than that they are victims, that they are oppressors. I don't believe in any of that. Are you comfortable uh, with, with these ideas being taught to children as young as four and in respect to the first book, as young as eight and nine in respect to the second book? Senator, I have not reviewed any of those books, any of those ideas. They don't come up in my work as a judge, which I'm respectfully here to address the book anti-racist baby has shot to the top of amazon and the new york times bestsellers list author Ibram x kendi could not have asked for a better publicity stunt than the one that ted cruz cooked up himself by printing large placards of the baby book to display during his inane line of questioning why why are these men making such fools of themselves well there's two answers First is that Ted Cruz, after finishing his allotted time, immediately took to Twitter to search his own name. So that tells you a lot about his goals and intentions. And two, in an effort to rile up the base and temperature gouge how the critical race theory culture war will play in the midterm elections. But Senators Josh Hawley and later Lindsey Graham also seem to take a very critical eye to Judge Jackson's history as a defense attorney and her rulings as a judge in a number of sex offender cases. Take a listen to this tense exchange. Now, didn't you also say that the number of images should not be considered as a sentence enhancement? Senator, with respect to the computer, one of the most effective deterrents is one that I imposed in every case and that judges across the country impose in every case, which is substantial, substantial supervision. Any of these wait, wait, wait a minute, Judge. You think it is a bigger deterrent to take somebody who's on a computer looking at sexual images of children in the most disgusting way is to supervise their computer habits versus putting them in jail? 
No, Senator, I didn't say versus. That's exactly what you said. I think the best way to deter people from getting on a computer and viewing thousands and hundreds and over time, maybe millions, the population as a whole, of children being exploited and abused every time somebody clicks on is to put their ass in jail, not supervise their computer usage. Senator, I wasn't talking about um, versus. You just said you thought it was a deterrent to supervise them. I don't think it's a deterrent. I think the deterrent is putting them in jail. Senator, the sentencing have respond? a deterrent component. Senator, would you let her respond? Yes. Where Amy Comey Barrett was asked if she played any instruments, Katanji Brown Jackson is being accused of being soft on sex criminals. I'll let her respond to this claim. As a mother and a judge who has had to deal with these cases, I was thinking that nothing could be further from the truth. These are some of the most difficult cases that a judge has to deal with because we're talking about pictures of sex abuse of children. We're talking about graphic descriptions that judges have to read and consider when they decide how to sentence in these cases. And there's a statute that tells judges what they're supposed to do. Congress has decided what it is that a judge has to do in this and any other case when they sentence. And that statute, that statute doesn't say, look only at the guidelines and stop. The statute doesn't say, um, impose the, the highest possible penalty for this sickening and egregious crime. The, the statute says, calculate the guidelines, but also look at various aspects of this offense and impose a sentence that is, quote, sufficient but not greater than necessary to promote the purposes of punishment. And the reason why Senators Cruz, Graham, and Hawley are holding her feet to the fire on this issue specifically can be found in the massive spike of chatter on alternative messaging boards where QAnon and other conspiracy groups heard the sex offending, child trafficking, liberal cabal, dog whistle loud and clear. The Republicans are performing a midterm dress rehearsal, trying out moral panics that are not grounded in reality, but rile up the base because they know that fear is a great voting motivator, and they certainly don't inspire the only other great voting motivator, hope. But Judge Jackson does inspire hopefulness, at least in me and in Senator Cory Booker. I like to end each Delve interview by asking the guests what makes them hopeful. And so I ask that you indulge the next few minutes in a heartwarming, impassioned, hopeful speech by the senator from New Jersey. And I want to tell you, when I look at you, this is why I get emotional. I'm sorry, you're, you're, you're a person that is so much more than your race and gender. You're a Christian, you're a mom, you're, you're, you're an intellect, you love books. But for me, I'm sorry, I, I, it's hard for me not to look at you and not see my mom, not to see my... My cousins, one of them who had to come here and sit behind you. She had to be, she had to have your back. I see my ancestors and yours. Nobody's going to steal the joy of that woman in the street or the calls that I'm getting or the texts. Nobody's going to steal that joy. You 
you have earned this spot. You are worthy. You are a great American. Your hero is Constance Baker Motley. Mine, she has sat on my desk for my offices that I've held. She's my icon of America. Her name is Harriet Tubman. There is a love in this country that is extraordinary. You admitted it about your parents. They loved this nation, even though there were laws preventing them from getting together. When they were loving, there were laws in this country that would have prevented you from marrying your husband. It wasn't that long ago. It was last generation. But they didn't stop loving this country, even though this country didn't love them back. And what were the words of your heroes and mine? What did Constance Baker Motley do? Did she, this country that she saw insults and injuries, when she came out of law school, law firms wouldn't even hire her because she was a woman. Did she become bitter? Did she try to create a revolution? No, she used the very constitution of this nation. She loved it so much, she wanted America to be America. As Langston Hughes wrote, oh, let America be America again. The land that never has been yet, but yet must be the land where everyone is free. Oh, yes, I say it plain. America never was America to me, but I swear this oath, America will be. That is the story of how you got to this desk. You and I and everyone here, generations of folk who came here and said, America, I'm Irish, you may say, no, Irish or dogs need to apply, but I'm gonna show this country that I can be free here. I can make this country love me as much as I love it. Chinese Americans first forced into mere slave labor, building our railroads, connecting our country, saw the ugliest of America, but they were gonna build their home here and say, America, you may not love me yet, but I'm gonna make this nation live up to its promise and hope. LGBTQ Americans from Stonewall women to Seneca. Hidden figures who didn't even get their play until some Hollywood movie finally talked about them and how they were critical for us defying gravity. All of these people loved America. And so you faced insults here that were shocking to me. Well, actually not shocking. But you are here because of that kind of love. And nobody's taken this away from me. So you got five more folk to go through. <laughs> five more of us. And then you can sit back and let us have all the debates. And I'm going to tell you, it's going to be a well-charted Senate floor because it's not going to stop. They're going to accuse you of this and that. Heck, in honor of your person who shares your birthday, you might be called a communist. But don't worry, my sister. Don't worry. God has got you. And how do I know that? Because you're here. And I know what it's taken for you to sit in that seat. Harriet Tubman is one of my heroes because the more I read about this person, the more, I mean, she was viciously beaten. For her whole life, she used to fall into spells, cracked skull. She faced starvation, chased by dogs, 
And when she got to freedom, what did she do? Did she rest? No, she went back again and again and again. The star was, the sky was full of stars, but she found one that was a harbinger of hope for better days, not just for her and those people that were enslaved, but a a harbinger of hope for this country. And she never gave up on America. She fought in the, led troops in the Civil War. She was involved in the suffrage movement. And as I came back from my run, after being near assaulted by, a, by someone on the street, I thought about her and how she looked up. She kept looking up. No matter what they did to her, she never stopped looking up. And that star, it was a harbinger of hope. Today, you're my star. You are my harbinger of hope. This country is getting better and better and better. And when that final vote happens and you ascend onto the, onto the highest court in the land, I'm going to rejoice. And I'm going to tell you right now, the greatest country in the world, the United States of America, will be better because of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. The Delve team is taking a break next week, so we will not have a new episode, but we will be back the following week. Until next time, there is a date on the calendar. I'm Chaylin, and this is The Delve.